Okay, Rabbi say we're going to do now the Shir of Dalit Tamus. This Shir is, to me at least, a direct continuation, a very direct continuation, from what he said at the very, very end of chapter 9 of Pedic Tess. And if you recall, what he said at the end of Pedic Tess is the idea that there is a concept of Yichud, of Sfiris with Ein Sof. The concept of the Yichud, to use our language, of the Mamala Kalam and with the Seva Kalam, with the ten Sfiris of Atzils, the light as it manifests in vessels, with the Ein Sof, which is higher than the ten Sfiris of Atzils. And he calls this unity, Raza de Memenusa, the secret of faith. That something, something, that have, something that you have to believe about this. So I want to start talking the Shir of Pedic, uh, the beginning of chapter 10, Pedic Yud, Dalat Hamas. But it's important for me to give you an introduction. And the introduction is as follows. I had a, someone sent me a message recently asking me a question. The question was, uh, we know that one of the things that a person does on this earth is called birudim, to elevate sparks, to take aspects of the physical world and to elevate them to HaKadosh Baruch The question was, what happens to these sparks that we elevate in Elam Haba? When Mashiach comes in and Tchies And moreover, what happens to the sparks that we do not elevate in Elam Haba? What happens to them then? This is the question that this person asked me. So I was trying to find a direct, a simple way to explain this difference. And, and this is what I told that person. And I, I, a little bit I want to uh, admit that this is conjecture, this is uh, uh, my interpretation. Um, but I do believe that this is true. I, I believe it's MS, it's Galton. It's not just my mood, but it's actually uh, my, my tendency, but it's actually true. A thousand years ago, there were two Lulavim in some country in Spain, or you name it, Asia Minor. One of those Lulavim was used to perform the midst of Luluf. The other one of those who love him was puzzle and was not used in Mitzvah Luluf. Both of those who love him are long gone. They've rotted, they've deteriorated, they've been burnt, they've been turned to dust. That dust may have been made into subsequent whatever, who love him. <laughs> Animals, plants, lahat, living human beings. But those who love him are thoroughly gone. Now, Taira and Yiddishkeit, of course, has the equivalent of a principle of conservation. Nothing is ever lost. It's just recycled. Nothing is ever lost. Nothing is lost. So both of those who love him live on. The energy, the life, the light that was that lulav is separated from the actual physical form and material of the lulav. But it lives on. It lives on spiritually. Now what happens in Tchiesa Mason? What happens when the resurrection of the, re- of the dead occurs? What happens is as follows. The lulav that was not used for a mitzvah is dead because it was klipa. But the truth within that lulav, the godliness within that lulav, becomes reunited with HaKadosh Baruch Hu and lives on. So it's the godliness that was invested in the lulav isn't lost, but the lulav is lost. You know, Esruach HaToma Avim in Oretz, Bilam Avaslanetzach, there's no negative, there's only positive. What remains is only the positive, the lulav, which is the energy, the life, and the light of that lulav, which is again, Momad HaKadosh Baruch like it was before it was put into the lulav in the first place. However, the second lulav is very different. The second lulav comes back. 
just like human beings have Tchiyas HaMesim, physical things which, which, with which mitzvahs perform, were performed also come back. And they come back emphatically in their form. Just like the human being comes back in his physical body. Because his physical body was made godly by the performance of at least one mitzvah. Similarly, any physical artifact which was used in the performance of the mitzvah has been made into godliness and therefore has Tchiyas HaMesim. In other words, the second lulav is the same as the first lulav. They're both conserved. Nothing is lost. The difference is the second lulav is godly in its external form. And the first lulav is godly only in its godliness. In other words, the second lulav's body has been transformed into godliness. And because the second lulav's body has been transformed into godliness, anything which is godliness is perpetual, is forever. So although that lulav dies, just like a human being dies, Tchiyasamesa means it comes back and it lives forever because it's been made eternal. In other words, the using of a physical thing for a mitzvah immortalizes it. It makes it godly in its siyur, in its form, and it lives forever. This is what I told this person, the answer to the question. What happens to klipa nele matchia? The answer is, if we didn't correct that klipa, the klipa dies and the light, the energy, life and light, is reunited with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, nothing is lost. If that klipa was elevated to the performance of Teda Mitzvah directly or indirectly, then the form itself is preserved because it's been transformed into godliness. Now why am I saying this to you? Because what this does is it reveals that there's two kinds of relationship between Hashem and His world. A, the relationship between Hashem and His world in as much as the world is a lie, the world is klipa, which means that the form is false, only the substance, the spirit is true. And in Eilam the form disappears, and all that's left is the spirituality. And B, a um, a physical thing, which has been made, uh, I'm sorry, creations that are godly, and creations which are godly are forever, like for example a toido, or tefillin, or any other artifact, and creations that are godly live forever. So accordingly, we talk about worlds. What happens to Asiya when Mashiach comes? What happens to Atsilos when El Matriya comes? And of course the answer is, Asiya by itself is Klipa. So the Klipa has to be destroyed, the light is elevated. But in the case of Atsilos, the world of Atsilos is itself godly. And because the world of Atsilos is itself godly, Atsilos doesn't disappear. It becomes included in godliness. And this is what the Alter wants to teach us. We're in the middle of a conversation about Sfidus. The lights of HaKadosh Baruch And the Sfidas are very, very important because Hashem uses them as tools in creation. We discussed Sfidas uh, earlier as well in the Shadi Yechid Vemunah. Um, I guess in Pedic Vov we had our conversations about Sfidas. We also understand that Sfidas are like Kipshute. Just like the world doesn't really exist, Sfidas don't really exist. Not Mamala Kalaman and not Sevev Kalaman. Everything is one with HaKadosh Baruch just like this earth doesn't really exist, because the tzimtzum is shaloi kipshute, neither does the world of Atsilas and the world higher than Atsilas really exist, because tzimtzum is shaloi kipshute. So the Zayar says that you should understand that even when you're looking at the reality from the perspective of tzimtzum shaloi kipshute, and this world doesn't exist, and Atsilas doesn't exist, there's a difference between the non-existence of Asiya and the non-existence of Atsilas. The non-existence of Asiya means literally Asiya is not there, because it's a lie. 
the non-existence of Atzilus is called the secret of faith. Why? Because Atzilus is the revelation of godliness. It is godliness revealed. So when godliness is bottled to its source, it doesn't disappear. It doesn't lose its form. To the contrary, its form is raised up. And that's the secret of faith. The secret of faith is that the godly lights, the way they're included in the source, are not obliterated, they're raised up. While the worlds that are ungodly, when they're included in the light of godly, godliness, are obliterated. That's how the Rebbe begins. Nevertheless, Teda speaks in the language of man. In other words, Teda was given to us. And we perceive ourselves as real. Correct? We exist. To ourselves, we exist. In other words, to us, the Tzimtzum is real. Hashem is really hidden from us. We experience ourselves and we're not experiencing Him. And the Teda speaks to us. So just like we perceive ourselves as real and the Teda is speaking to us, the Teda speaks of the Sphiris as real, the godly lights as real, because the Teda is speaking to us. And just like we need for ourselves to exist, we need the Sphiris of Atzilus to exist. And to, to soften, to make it easier for the human ear, for the human mind to understand these ideas. Accordingly, the Kabbalists were granted permission to talk about Sviris by way of analogy. Even though Sviris don't exist and Seva Vaklama doesn't exist, only the Abish that exists. But from our perspective, just like we exist, the Sviris exists, and same exists, and we can speak about Sviris. And they're called lights. And I just want to mention tangentially that there's a letter. It's printed in the second volume of the Altarebbe's Igis Kedish. And now in the new prints, they consolidated all the Altarebbe's letters into one volume, so they're in that one volume. That when the Altarebbe was arrested the second time, he had to defend Hasidus. And in needing to defend Hasidus, he wrote an essay on basic ideas in Kabbalah. And it's this essay which, uh, which the Mittal Rebbe later expanded in the letter which is called um, uh, Bat Kodesh, where the Mittal Rebbe explains at greater length uh, the idea of Sviris and so on. And it's written in the introduction to the Bat Kodesh that's based on a Maimon of the Alter Rebbe, which we didn't have. But when they found the archive in Russia of the Altarebbe's cross-examination, they found the Altarebbe's version of the Bad Kedish. And there the Altarebbe talks about the Sphiris and he calls them lights. Light means revelations of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's it. They have no ego, no self-identity. Only revelations of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's what Sphiris are. Sphiris are not creations. They're emanations. They simply reveal HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And we're allowed to speak about Sphiris just like we're allowed to speak about ourselves. Just like from our perspective, we exist. From our perspective, the Sviris exist and they're called lights. Using this example, using this form, we'll understand a little bit, first of all, how godliness reaches this earth. But second of all, it allows us to understand not only how the Sviris of Atzilus reveal godliness in the world, but how the Sviris of Atzilus, even as they're revealed, remain one with their source. And this is, like I told you before, it's called on the end of the previous Pedic, the secret of faith. Shubadarach which is by way of analogy, Sun's rays, sun's light, as they included in the sun. If you were to put into the sun a rocket, 
that rocket would melt down, it would stop being a rocket, and it would become gas. But when you would take the light of the sun and put it back into the sun, it would be what it is, sun. Because the light of the sun is simply a reflection of the sun itself. The sun is called the source. As the Pasuk says, The sun is the great source of light. The ray and the spark, which expands and shines, from the sun, is the light of the sun, is the reflection of the sun. The Pasuk says, God Almighty called the light day. I'm sorry, this is where the light comes out of the sun. When this light is included within the sun, is absolutely one with the sun itself. Because inside the sun itself, all you have is one essence. Which is the body of the luminary, which is shining. Because when you're talking about the light of the sun, as it exists within the sun, it's one essence with the sun itself. The English is called the atom has no form unto itself. Now, of course, what's the point? The point is that light and the sun are compatible. The light that comes out of the sun is reflecting the sun. The light in the sun is sun. But it's not the obliteration of light. It's simply the re-inclusion of what is sun back into its source. While a foreign object in the sun would be destroyed by the sun. Rebbe says three lines in the top of that page just as I described the relationship between the light of the sun and the sun and even more so the sweetest of Atzilus the will and wisdom of Atzilus in the world of Atzilus because in Atzilus Chesed is the light of Ein Sof and Gevur is the light of Ein Sof and Chochm is the light of Ein Sof and Bin is the light of Ein Sof and Ratzin is the light of Ein Sof and so on As they're one with Abish to themselves. That he himself is revealed in them and is unified with them, like the light of the sun is with the sun. Since they're drawn and emanated from him. By analogy, like the light from the sun, and there's no reality to the light other than the sun, and in the nimshos there's no reality to God other than God. Not only on this level, in fact, the relationship between godliness of Osiris and Ein Sof is more one than is the union between the sun's light and the sun. Because his ways are higher than our ways. But at least by using the analogy of light to describe the Sphidus, we're explaining, we're enlightening, we're revealing the idea that when the light, when the Sphidus are included in their source, they're not obliterated, but they're elevated. And that's the point that the Altarebbe is trying to make here, that he calls it Ozodim Heminusa. That from our perspective, we exist and Sphidus exists. But from the Abish's perspective, we don't exist and Sphidus don't exist. But there's a very big difference. We don't exist means we're obliterated. And Sphidus don't exist because they are God. They're one with God. And therefore, the opposite is also true. When we're separate from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we're a, an entity of Klippa. And when the Sphidus of Atzilos are separate from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, they're simply revealing what HaKadosh Baruch Hu is. 
And the, the way I explain this to you is based on a sikha that the Rebbe said uh, when, when Rabbi Weinberg taught the Tanya, this Perik Yud, the Shaykh of the Muna, on the radio.